All right. After all that, I'm finally jumping into the sermon. And if you're thinking we'll be here forever, listen, I'm going to hit this one quick. Uh, Christmas stories, the whole idea behind Christmas stories, and, and Stacy just did an amazing job. Did she not do an amazing job last week introducing this series? Yes. She just did an amazing job introducing this series last week, talking about the genealogy of Jesus and the people that were included in that genealogy. Uh, people that we would not have included in our own stories, and yet it was included for a purpose and for a reason. So our, our hope throughout this series is to highlight some people that you don't normally talk about at Christmas, and today we're going to be talking about someone who may or may not have existed. However, they are one of the villains of the Christmas story. Uh, we can learn a lot from this person, whether they did or didn't exist, and that is the innkeeper. The innkeeper in every Christmas story is a bad person, is he not? Or she, likely he, is he not? He has this poor little pregnant girl who's 16 maybe, uh, who is needing to give birth. She is just, you know, she's pregnant. She's out to here. The time has come and there's no room in a bed. There's no room in a room. And, And so they have to go and they have to go into the barn and give birth to baby Jesus. Here's what I want to do with today's story. I want to talk about the innkeeper, and I'll tell you why we're not sure whether this person actually exists or not in a minute. But before we do that, I think it's important for us to understand God has been planning this event since the very beginning of creation. I love what Caitlin shared as far as her story, her experience, and what she has come to in her own faith. I love how consistent God is and that he is coming to us as a rescuer and has been planning this rescue literally since the Garden of Eden. So here's what I want to do. I want to walk through that and then I want to get to the innkeeper. And in order for us to fully understand this, we have to to know that this incarnation of Jesus coming is so important to the story of salvation that if it doesn't occur in the way in which it says it occurred, it, ga- it draws serious question whether Jesus is the Messiah and can be trusted. Now, when the angels appeared to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, this is immediately after what we're focusing on today, this is what they say in announcing the birth of Jesus. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The announcement of a Savior who is coming, not of a good person, not of a great teacher, not of someone that you should pattern your life after, but this is a Savior who is coming. If we remove the divinity of the incarnation of Jesus at the time of Christmas, the birth of the Savior, if we remove his divinity, we cannot trust that he walked out of a grave. So the divinity of Jesus is crucial in this story. Advent is all about preparing ourselves to believe, to know, and to experience the coming of Jesus into the world. Now, you need to know that from the last prophecy, which would have been God speaking to his people, to the announcement that Mary and Elizabeth were going to be pregnant was a period of about 400 years. In other words, in all the ways God had spoken to the nation of Israel up until that time, there was a silent 400 years. 
Now, to put that in context for us, that is a longer span than the United States of America has been a nation. Now, if you can imagine you are used to prophets speaking for God and pushing you in a constant direction, and then all of a sudden you don't hear anything for 400 years, the worship of God is not great in the nation of Israel. In fact, we know that for about 70 years before this, they have been just a bedroom community of Rome. Rome has taken power, and they are just a pocket kingdom of Rome. Worship of God is not paramount in the nation of Israel. This is one of the reasons that we have the stories intermingled of Jesus' birth and John the Baptist's birth. Because John the Baptist's purpose was to realign the nation of Israel with what they had always known and worshipped up until this time of silence, and then Rome has taken over. And so his message has been, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was John the Baptist. Now, how can we trust that the divinity of Jesus is something that is true, something that is important? How can we trust that this experience with the innkeeper even actually existed? And one of the ways we do that is we go back and we find out what was said about this and did it come true? So if we go back through the Old Testament, we find time and time again a prophecy of what would happen that eventually did happen. These are some of the prophecies that we find. We find that we go all the way back to the line of Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, and it says, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. This was a foreshadowing. All the nations is a blessing that Jesus brings, not anyone before Jesus. Because God worked among the nation of Israel primarily and mostly exclusively to demonstrate these are my people. I am real. They are blessed. And what the promise was made to Abraham was someone is coming through your line that is going to bless everyone. He was talking about Jesus. Not only did we know it would come from the line of Abraham, there is a later prophecy in Isaiah that he would come from the line of Jesse. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He would come from the line of Jesse. Do you know who else came from the line of Jesse? David. So we know that not only is he coming from the line of Abraham, also from Abraham's uh, later great-great-great-great-great-grandchild would also come from the line of Jesse who would bear David. It would come from the line of David. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In the days Judah will be saved... Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So we have a consistent story. These have been written far before the events happened. We also know that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, 
who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So he's going to come from the line of Abraham. He's going to come from the line of Jesse. He's going to come from the line of David. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. All these things happened. And in Isaiah chapter 7, that this Savior, this Messiah would be born of a virgin. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Not only can we find all these prophecies that have come true in the reality of Jesus, we see that God has been planning the birth of Jesus since the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we understand that the heel that bruises the head of the serpent is Jesus as he conquers sin as our Savior. Now, this all sounds good, doesn't it? If this is real, if this is true, this is the most significant news in all the world. And they've been preparing since the beginning of creation for this moment that Jesus would come. If this is true, then this changes everything about the world, and historians should not look down on Jesus or those who follow him, but instead should celebrate that this is true and this is real. And if this is real, then the things that Jesus has promised us are real. If this is true. So the question then is, is this true? We're going to look at that and this interesting story of this poor young couple who was put out of the house and had to give birth in a barn. Maybe there's more to this story than sometimes we've heard. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, this is that part of the story. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, which was prophesied where he would be born. <coughs> Excuse me. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. For us to move forward, we need to unpack this story. Because what we often do is we read something at face value and we go, oh, that's interesting. But there's really a lot going on here. Caesar Augustus is the grandnephew of Julius Caesar. At some point, Julius Caesar decides that he is going to adopt Caesar Augustus as his son, and he would be his heir. Now, interestingly, if any of you are lovers of literature, this is the story of the betrayal of Julius Caesar. Do you remember the story? Et tu brute or brutes or whatever? I'm not, I'm not a literature lover. Right? And so whenever Julius Caesar is murdered, he does not immediately take the throne because there is a fight with, all right, literature lovers, who? <laughs> Nobody loves literature in here. Mark Antony. 
And after this struggle, eventually Caesar Augustus takes over. This is the story you read completely devoid of the the person of Jesus. And during his reign, it is said about Caesar Augustus that there was no time in the Roman Empire that experienced more peace than at the time of his reign. In fact, he was the Roman emperor that would commission and build the entire Roman road system that would connect all of the provinces of Rome. Now, as you all know, we all have goals here today in our government spending. Build a wall, do uh, interstate system, replace the interstate system, whatever. We have our own giving things. And where do you think you get the money in order to build a massive roadway system to connect an entire empire? Taxes. So this is the first time that they have said, now, we need some money. Now, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make them go back to their place of birth to pay their tax. Now, we read it as in they were getting registered. And registered sounds really okay, doesn't it? Mark, I need you to go register for taxes. Okay, I can do that. That is different than pay taxes, right? I'll register all day long. Yeah, sure. You want me to write my name down? I'll write my name down. I'm going to need you to bring a check too. Oh, well, now that's different. So what's happening here is the empire is doing well. Caesar Augustus is overseeing a great amount of peace and expansion of the Roman Empire. He's building this incredible roadway system, which, by the way, down the road would be the very roadway system that the apostles and those missionaries would follow to take the gospel to the rest of the world. That's not why he built it. But that's what God used it for. And so as they go, it is time for them to go to their place of birth. And for Joseph and Mary, that is the city of David, which is Bethlehem. They're going to pay their taxes because the empire is expanding and it needs money to expand. And so as they do this, as they go, they come along and Mary is about to give birth. Now, did they know this was going to happen at this time? There might have been some inkling because they had heard the prophecy before I'm getting kind of full term here, Joseph, and we now have to go to Bethlehem. Do you remember the prophecy? I wonder if something's going to happen there. (laughs) Isn't it amazing how God orchestrates things ways that we never ourselves would? Now, the fact that this is happening and you had to go to the, the, the town of your family's birth meant that all of the lineage of David was in town. So not only was he coming from the lineage of David, everyone living in that area that was from the line of David was in one place at one time for the birth of the Savior who came from the line of David. Now, that's significant. Now, we go back and say, well, how do we know if this is true? How do we know these things happen? We go back to our textual criticism, the evidence that we have of proofs of evidence that say these people actually did exist. We do know Julius Caesar existed. You studied him in school. You will continue to study him in school. Maybe some of you studied him in college. There are books written about him. And how do we know that Julius Caesar existed? We have a few dozen pieces of artifacts pointing that Julius Caesar lived. A few dozen. The earliest artifacts that we have that Julius Caesar lived were written about 400 years after the reign of Julius Caesar. 
And yet no one would say Julius Caesar didn't exist. He was a fairy tale. He was a myth. He, that, just a good story. And yet with Jesus, we have several thousand pieces of evidence saying this person did exist and there is consistency among those pieces of evidence with the earliest piece being about 70 years after the life of Jesus. And yet we want to quibble about whether Jesus was real, but we know Julius Caesar is. That is one of the crazy things about a culture who will deny God at all costs. We will look at the evidence and we will say, oh yeah, there's no way Jesus is real. Even though every single point of evidence that they would use apart from God to say, did this happen or not, overwhelmingly says, this happened. So this happened. This did happen. Jesus is real. Julius Caesar was real. What was happening contained in this text is real. So what? Excuse me, why in the world would Jesus have the Savior of the world be born in a stable? Enter the villain of the Christmas story. Not Herod, he's the true villain, but another lesser villain. Who would put a pregnant young girl out on the street and rather than give them their own bed? So let's dissect a little bit of the story, what we know about the text, what we know about things that were going on. And there is a very important question, was there truly an innkeeper? The reason this is a question is because there are a couple of Greek words uh, that are used to talk about where you would stay if you're pulling into a city somewhere and need a place to stay. The one that we read here in Luke chapter 2 is Cataluma. It literally means a dwelling place or a guest room. It does not mean an inn. It could be an inn. It could also be a shelter. It could be a barn. It could be a house. It could be someone who just has an extra room available. Does not necessarily mean there's an inn. This is made more complicated because there is a Greek word that means inn. (laughs) There is a word that they could have used that communicates the idea of a hotel or a hostel or some kind of place that has multiple rooms for rent, which you can imagine if you own such a place, this is the best event that has ever happened in your life because you are not only full, you're renting out the foyer, you're renting out the back porch, you're renting out the barn, you're renting, I mean, this is a financial windfall. You know, hey, we should do this every year, Caesar. This is great. And they're raking it in. This is the best business that they may ever have had. This word pandachion means in in the Greek. This is the same Greek word that when you read the story of the Good Samaritan and the Good Samaritan takes the traveler who has been beat up and has been left for dead and then takes the traveler to a place to be cared for, it is this word that means in, not the word in the account in Luke 2 that talks about where Joseph and Mary tried to stay. So it may have been an inn. Or it may have been somebody's house. The question then comes about whether was the innkeeper heartless, and the innkeeper wasn't heartless. See, this minor character of the story, because there is no mention of an innkeeper. Go back and read it again. There's no mention of an innkeeper. There's only mention of an inn where there is no room. We assume that there must be an innkeeper, which is why that is in the story. 
and why if you've seen any Christmas play with children doing the Christmas story, there's some really selfish, terrible, you know, gruff innkeeper in that Christmas play. It's all things that we assume based on our reading of the English text that says there was no room for them in the end. But what if there was no room for them at your house? See, that is just as plausible, if not more plausible, than the fact that they were in front of a hotel. The innkeeper was not heartless. Let's say it was an inn. And if any of you are in charge of anything, you know you have so many resources, and at the end of those resources, you're done, right? I've got five rooms. Those five rooms are gone. I, what am I going to do? Put them out? Where am I going to put you? It wasn't heartless. It wasn't room. In fact, we could even go so far as to say they found a place for them to go. And in that climate would not have been a horrible snow-covered blizzard in which Jesus is born in the driving snow. But a place is found. Now remember, the entire lineage of David that is living is here. That begs another question. Were they the first ones to get into the stable? Hey, we're just, listen, there's overflow sleeping in the stable. You know, just go back there. Were they the only ones there? See, all of our mangers, I call them manger scenes. You educated people call them nativities. I call them manger scenes. That's what you're supposed to call them. But if you want to be more proper, you would say nativities. And every manger scene, it is just them. But we don't know that. In all likelihood, from what we understand from this context, because let's be honest, tourism in Bethlehem was not a bustling trade. It was a small town. It was not very important, except it was the town of David, which made it important. And so it's not this bustling place that you could stay in any holiday inn, or you could get in the embassy suites if you made your reservation early enough. No, everyone was trying to find a place to stay. It was packed. Regardless, somebody had to own the place in which Jesus was born. Somebody's. It didn't just appear, and it wasn't just a public stable. Somebody owned this property. Somebody said, I'm sorry, you can't stay in the house, but you can go out with the animals. Somebody had to say that, and even that is, in a way, an act of grace. Even though we would not be excited about this. Can you imagine moms in the room? If you were Mary, I mean, I can just imagine if Deidre was given birth to our first child and I said, Deidre, there's no room in the hotel. We're going to have to go stay in the garage. I'm not giving birth to this baby in the garage. You know, you, you, you all have your different things, right? You, you hear the story where a police officer delivers a baby in a cab and you're like, oh, that's a wonderful story. Unless it's your story. And it's like, that's a terrible story. I, I'm not giving birth in this cab. Get me to the hospital or wherever. In addition, it wasn't cultural to just say, oh, yeah, it's no big deal. Yeah, just go give birth in a stable. It's no big deal. Because the Israelites, the Hebrews, they they were a very hospitable people. They loved each other. They valued life. They, They had strong community relationships. And had they been born where they were living, if Jesus had been born where they were living, they would have been surrounded by family and friends. And more importantly, they would have had a midwife with them. But you can't take your midwife with you unless she is also of the lineage of David because she had to go to her hometown. 
we can look at all this and say, God, you could have planned this a little better. I mean, you don't know anything about women who've given birth. This is not the way to do this. And not only that, we're talking about the king of all kings. We're talking about the savior of the world. Whoever this person was, God had a plan for it to happen just as it happened. And there is a message in that. But before we leave the innkeeper, whoever it was, we can identify him in this way, that the innkeeper was too busy to see what was right in front of his face. The mother of the Messiah is at my door. I believe if the innkeeper knew what was happening here, knew who this person was, knew the prophecies, and that this was the fulfilling of those prophecies, he or she would have said, get out! They get the whole house. But they didn't see that. How many times has God done something so significant right in front of us, but because we're so busy, we miss it? God, I just want to see you work. God, I just want to know what you're doing. God, I just want to be used in some important way in the world. And yet God is doing that every day. And we can be an innkeeper and miss it. I mean, we look at him, and if you're a business owner, you think, oh, I mean, I just relate to the innkeeper, because, I mean, what are you going to do? It's just a bad situation, but he did the right thing. First come, first serve. They've already paid their rent. They're already here staying. There's no more room. It's a sad thing. They should have gotten there earlier. But also, what we see is an uncomfortable truth throughout Scripture being woven like a thread throughout the historical story of Christ and God's work among us is that there are times that God works in important ways that we don't like. See, it's an American concept that says God will only work in ways that make me feel good about the way he's working. I mean, it's the pursuit of happiness. But that is not the story we see throughout the Old and New Testaments. The story we see throughout the Old and New Testaments is God works in the ways that, are, that are, have, cause His purposes to be fulfilled in the way He wants them to be fulfilled. And so I ask the question, was the innkeeper too busy? Or wasn't he? The story of Judas is one of the most troubling stories in all of Scripture for me. Judas is another villain. He's perhaps the villain in all of Scripture. And yet... Scripture tells us that there are some people who are made as vessels of wrath. I don't mess up your kindness, compassionate, grace-filled theology. Those of you who are for Calvinism say, yeah, that's right, preach that, that's right. That just shows God predetermined and elected somebody for something. It is an uncomfortable reality that at times God works in ways that we don't want or would have preferred He not work in that way. And yet this that happened for Jesus had been prophesied from the beginning in the Garden of Eden up until this moment. Sometimes we don't see what God is doing right in front of our face because God doesn't want us to. I don't know about the innkeeper. I don't have some hidden 
knowledge or some secret scripture that lays this out. But as I look through the story of God in the, in the Bible, I do not find that hard to digest. That this is exactly what happened and the innkeeper acted exactly the way he was supposed to because God wanted it to happen this way. If that's true, why would that be true? Some of the messages before we leave the innkeeper is that the, some of the best things come when we least expect it, does it not? Well, maybe you met your spouse by chance. Happenstance, we just bumped into each other and said, hey, you're not bad looking. And down the road, it led to more and more and more, and then you had a family, right? Many jobs have been had in this room because you just happened to be in the right place at the right time and somebody said I need somebody and then there you were you had a job do you have those things that happen in your life if you don't have you do have those things that happen in your life if you don't recognize when those things happen in your life you need to start doing it It is an uncomfortable realization how much of the significant things that happen to us seem to happen by chance and not by design. We want them to happen by design because we have some level of control over it, but there's so much that God does by chance. It's not by chance, but it looks as if by chance. It makes us uncomfortable because we're not in control of that. Some of the best things come when you least expect it. We also see as if you are not looking intently for God, we will miss Him. This is a message for us today. Maybe the most important message from the innkeeper's life is that if we are not intently every day looking for God, we will miss Him. Because God is not one to flaunt Himself in front of you, to wave Himself like a flag in your face, or to dress Himself up in gold and glitter and prance around so that we hopefully will get a glimpse of what he's saying or what he's doing. Instead, God works quietly and says, if you love me, if you're searching for me, you will find me. We have to be intently looking for God. As we look at the story and the way that it happened, the way it was supposed to happen, God has a purpose even during struggle. And some of you need to hear that message. We're going to be talking about this again tonight. God has a purpose purpose even in the midst of your struggle and i know that you believe and you hope and you pray and you ask others to pray god remove my struggle remove this hardship remove this financial hardship remove this physical pain remove this broken relationship or heal this broken relationship and we just want and want and we believe that if we just do the right things and pray the right way and have enough people praying that god will remove the struggle but what if the struggle is the point see that was part of the point for the birth of jesus was the struggle most of us will spend our lives trying to mitigate as much struggle out as possible. And I will tell you, if you follow Jesus, he will totally lead you into struggle. He's with us beside still quiet waters. And he's with us through the valley of the shadow of death. If anybody could be saved from struggle, you would think it would have been Jesus if that's God's plan. And yet we know that Jesus was often acquainted with struggle and grief. 
40 days in the desert, the disappointment as his disciples walked away, praying in the garden as he's about to be betrayed, sweating drops of blood, the anxiety, the stress, the struggle that he's going through before he's about to be tortured and crucified, which by the way is all true if this stuff is true. Sometimes God has a point in your struggle. And this is easy for someone to, this is easy to say, but this is hard to live. Sometimes you need to stop praying to get out of the struggle and you need to start praying to experience the purpose of the struggle itself. See, we could easily look back and just say, this shouldn't happen this way. But God wanted it to happen this way. God wanted the Savior of the world to come and just this way. And while we're trying our best to be a rise above that kind of stuff and not let that stuff happen to us and know what's going to happen and control what's going to happen and have wonderful, beautiful lives that anyone would want to have, that is not the way God works. It often works in the struggle, as James tells us. Count it all joy when you experience trials of all kinds because with it comes the perfection of your faith. God has a purpose even during struggle. Mary's struggle was predetermined. (laughs) Maybe yours is too. Paul said, I prayed to have this struggle removed from me. I finally gave up and said, okay, here it is. I've got it. He called it a thorn in the flesh. Maybe your struggle is predetermined. For Mary... This was not the way she wanted to give birth to her first child in a barn with a child. Normally your midwife would be there to encourage you, to provide for you, to take care of you, to make sure it was a sterile environment. When the baby is born, the midwife would take the baby, would clean it up, wrap it up, care for it while the mother would begin the process of recovery, but not here. Mary did it. Mary did it. The mother of the Savior of the world had to do it all herself. There are none blessed more than Mary in the world, right? And yet, this was God's design. So maybe your struggle isn't a result of God not loving you. Maybe your struggle isn't a result of God forgetting forgetting about you. Perhaps your struggle is meant for a greater purpose. You just don't see it yet. God's plans often involve struggle. One of the things that this shows us about him is that Jesus came for those of us who are not superstars. Amen? See, we grow up as children and we all want to be superstars, don't we? I want to be a superstar basketball player. I want to be a superstar whatever. Those of us who grew up with Top Gun wanted to be a superstar fighter pilot, right? I still want to be a superstar fighter pilot. Still want to be. I haven't gotten my chance yet. It's going to come. It's going to come. They're going to release a new Top Gun. I'll be there. I'll be believing that I'm going to be a fighter pilot. Kids grow up believing they want to be president. They're going to discover some new thing. They're going to be an astronaut. They're going to land on the moon. Or now it's maybe Mars they're going to land on. All want to be superstars. You know, one of the hardest things in life to grow through is to recognize when we're not superstars. You know, pastors don't struggle with this at all. 
We do. See, we often see people who grow up with superstar status who miss the greatest things in the world. Because they don't need them. Jesus is born in this stable showing the rest of the world, I'm not coming as a superstar. I'm coming to be with you. It's one of the most wonderful ways that we could have experienced Jesus not being born in a palace, but being born in a stable. I'm going to leave you with two things, two thoughts to consider as we close out today. One is that if you are going through struggle, and I trust that you are in some degree or in some level, and if you're not, you have or you will, God has a plan for your struggle. It is not in vain. It is not because you are not loved. It is not because you were not good or that you are not capable. God has always predetermined struggles. God has a plan for your struggle. And the second one is perhaps a greater message for us at this Christmas season because we are so busy. That if you do not search intently for God every day, you will likely miss Him. And I do think the grace of God and the mercy of God is one that when we have not been looking for Him, He pokes us, from, you know, like a Facebook poke. Nobody really knows what that's for. You know, why do you poke? And I get a Facebook poke, I think, what? is that you know but i do think that god at times pokes us and says don't forget that is grace mercy and compassion don't forget but he's not going to do that repetitively you will find me when you search for me with all your heart are we searching for him with all our heart Are we searching for him when we don't have something else to search for? I mean, I'm searching for some Christmas presents, and I can't find them. And they're the gift this year, but I I don't have time to search for God because, man, I can't find this Christmas present. Amen. Herman's struggling with that right now. He can't find his gift he's looking for. We have to search for God intently every day. And when we do, we will see him. And we will find him. If the innkeeper story did happen, just as we have read it historically and traditionally, let us not be like that person that would have witnessed the most significant moment in history and miss it. See, the thing is for the innkeeper, it was still a good night. (laughs) He was still counting his money, whether it was a room or whether it was a hotel. He was, it was a good night. Not only that, I not only rented out the main house, I rented out the stable. Man, it's just good. He didn't wake up the next morning thinking, oh, I missed it. He didn't, he didn't do that. There's so many times God does amazing things that we miss, and we're still okay because we don't know it. Let us not miss what God is doing right in front of us right now. Father, God, I thank you that you are a God of grace that does prompt and prod us in the moments that we are looking somewhere else. I thank you for the great gift of Christ and for the examples of people just like this possible innkeeper, 
like those that are in the genealogy, like the other minor stories that we see in Scripture that play a major role in the coming of Jesus. Thank you that you show us your mercy, your love, and your compassion. Father, I do pray for those in this room that are going through a struggle. Their struggle is one that feels very personal. It feels like they've been abandoned. It feels like no one cares. And yet, God, you bring all kinds of incredible fruit from the struggles that we wish we didn't have. Give us wisdom in the moments that we need to change something that is causing struggle. Give us wisdom when we just need to rest in your grace, peace, and hope through it because there's nothing that can change it. Father, this Christmas season, I pray that we would see you. I pray that we would not live lives that are so haphazard and busy and doing so many wonderful, fun, good things that we miss the really great things. I know today even you are wanting us to see something that you're doing and I pray that we would slow down and be still and quiet enough to see it. Father, thank you for the grace of sending your son to live here with us to be our savior for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.